Welcome to the Castle Creek Launchpad Fund podcast series. I'm Catherine Kane, and I'm here with Catherine Petralia, who is a serial startup founder. She's uh, currently the head of Keep Financial. She was also the co-founder of Cabbage, and she's an advisory board member for our fund. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you give a brief overview of all of your experiences, or at least some of the top notes? Um, I would say in 97 or 98 is when I first got involved with using um, technology, in particular the internet, to solve problems for financial services companies or to create financial services products for consumers or small businesses. And I think one of the things um, that I'm most proud of for sure is Cabbage, which we served small businesses providing a whole suite of financial services products to help the smallest businesses in the U.S. and abroad manage their businesses and and manage cash flow. Um, And we sold that to American Express in 2020. And um, then I left in the middle of last year and we started our new company, Keep, which is focused on compensation. I was reading a bit about Keep. It sounded really interesting. You want to tell me more about what you're doing there? We thought, um, wouldn't it be really interesting to give employees access to flexible compensation. Regardless of what a company's um, compensation strategy is, they generally apply it the same way to all the people. But everybody comes to an employer in a different space in their life. Um, Some of them are, you know, married and they have kids and they are buying houses and, you know, saving for college. And some people are younger and single and they want to travel and they have different goals and objectives. Um, And so we think that it'd be really important, that it is really important to be able to provide them compensation when they need it. So what we do is provide, or we enable, our platform enables employers to provide upfront compensation that vests over time like equity, um, which means that you can measure the impact of compensation. Hiring a team at a fintech or startup is a huge issue. What else in your experience founding startups and growing fintechs has really mattered? I am going to get back to people. I mean, I think that the hardest thing we did at Cabbage was bring on our, our first employees. Um, we were really lucky for Keep because we were able to bring people with us with whom we'd worked before. And so mm-hmm. we had a good idea of capabilities. But when you're starting a company for the first time and you're just out there trying to hire people, you know, it takes yeah. a special kind of person um, who is interested in taking that kind of risk. It's not a career risk, I wouldn't say, because nobody ever gets dinged in their career because they tried out a startup. But you also, you know, want to take people's you know, financial life, seriously, it's a big deal to us when somebody leaves a job and comes to us to do something that is unproven. And, you know, we want to take care of people. So um, I I think hiring the right people, you know, getting them on board, making sure that they have, you know, the uh, sort of responsibilities and authorities that that allow them to get things done every day and to move the ball forward, so to speak. I'd never use sports metaphors, but I just did. (laughs) So anyway, I think that's really important. You just need people who are sort of generalists, um, but can work for your business and can get a ton of stuff done and don't need a lot of support. And it's hard to find those people. In your experiences working with banks and other financial institutions and interacting with them from startups or fintech startups, what have you observed or lessons do you have for banks or fintech founders? It's a little complicated because it really depends on the nature of the relationship. What is the product or service that's being provided by the bank or to the bank? 
And so we had so many different bank relationships. And and, uh, and so I'll put them in a couple of different categories. We had uh, multiple banks with whom we worked to actually enable our product. We had a bank partner for the lending product that we had. Um, they were the lender of record. We managed all of the marketing and product development and servicing and funding. But they were the regulatory entity that was, you know, responsible for managing compliance and managing the um, the agencies that oversaw their business. And so we had a bank partner, um, Celtic Bank, a call out for them. They were really great. Um, mm-hmm. With whom we worked for lending. We worked with Green Dot Bank for checking. We worked with um, Wells Fargo for the payment processing um, product that we offered. We worked with so many banks. And that was really very specific. It was a very specific structure. The bank knows exactly how they want to operate. They know exactly what the regulatory requirements are. We work with a bank, another bank for um, for Keep. We work with ThreadBank, which is also they've also been a great partner. Um, and, and and they know exactly how they want the program to work, and they do a great job of working with the fintech to make sure that they understand the regulatory and compliance needs because a lot of founders get into a fintech business and they may not have a background doing that as it happened i did i've been working with in bank partner models since you know the early the late Mm -hmm. 90s and so um so it's really important for founders to understand that you have to listen to the bank they are the boss Mm -hmm. of the things (laughs) And, and they have a lot of risk in partnering with the fintech the other kind of partnership i would say is when you are providing your product or service to a bank. Maybe it's for fraud or identity management. Maybe it's decisioning systems. Maybe it's treasury management. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. In one way, you're just selling your product to a bank and they're paying you for the service. Sort of a SaaS model. The other way could be the way that Cabbage worked with banks. We had all these large bank partnerships globally. Um, big banks like ING and Santander and Scotiabank, you know, these trillion dollar plus banks. And and we kind of made a mistake in those relationships. We They, they came to us, which is kind of weird, um, and they said, hey, we want to do fintech. Mm-hmm. And we were like, well, that sounds cool. Y'all are big banks. We should do that. And um, and the problem, the mistake that we made is we stepped outside of our lane. We changed our, our, our business in a way that wasn't natural mm-hmm. to the way we normally operated. And it wasn't successful. And on the bank side, the mistake that they made is that the CEO woke up one day and said, we're going to do fintech. Mm-hmm. And then... The rest of the organization was like, I don't think I really care about this. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why do I want to do this? I'm not making more money for taking this risk. Um, you know, there's no incentive that's been created for me to to focus on this initiative. I've got all these other, you know, KPIs that I need to focus on. And so what we should have done is partnered with those banks in much the same way we partner with banks in the U.S. And we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really long way of getting to whatever your business model is. Don't depart from it unless you're really confident that you can can make it work or unless you're just engaging in a small test to see how it works and incentives need to be aligned between the bank and your organization. Do you think that banks have different issues now in partnering or similar issues they had before it was called fintech? You know, it was really interesting through COVID to see what happened and the way banks started thinking about fintech themselves even though as I said they they really are fintechs in their own right. Um, And the story I love to tell about that, honestly, is the ATM. 
nobody thinks about the the humble and ubiquitous mm-hmm. ATM as any sort of innovation. But in the 70s, it was kind of miraculous. It allowed people who had not been able to participate in the mainstream banking system to now suddenly have access to their money anytime they needed to. They didn't have to go to the bank during bankers' hours to withdraw mm-hmm. cash. They didn't have to you know do the same thing for depositing money. It was like just this unbelievable innovation that I think doesn't get a lot of credit, but it was created by the banks. Um, the same thing goes for card payments. You know all the things that we sort of take for granted today. E-commerce would not exist without credit cards. Merchants get really frustrated about the fees that they pay, but but they wouldn't even have businesses if it wasn't for credit cards. These are you know really great mm-hmm. innovations that have changed people's lives in, in the course of business, I would say. But during COVID, the banks kind of realized that they were lagging behind fintechs with respect to customer experience. There were small businesses that couldn't use their mobile app for deposits. There were consumers who couldn't had to go into a bank to send a wire. I was one of those. Man, that stunk. Um, but you couldn't go into the bank because the banks were mm-hmm. shut down. You know, it was. Really it was a real problem. But the banks were like, holy moly, if we don't do something about this, everybody's going to go to Chime. You know, we, we got we to figure something out. And they did. They worked mm-hmm. really hard to figure out how they could meet their customers where they were. And, um, and I think it was really impressive, you know, the, the mountains that the large institutions moved to make sure they could deliver, you know, at least a, a customer experience that was on par. If it wasn't, you know, exceptional, that was okay. At least, you know, they met the basic needs. What is your top piece of advice for banks partnering with fintechs? If it's not just buying software, I would say then my advice is to set goals, understand from the very beginning what you hope to accomplish, make sure that your teams understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish, and most importantly, that you have created incentives that align the interests of the fintech and your teams so that everybody has a reason to work hard to make it happen. Did you draw on behavioral psychology for key? I think the most important sort of psychological or behavioral component to keep is this idea of loss aversion. The idea that somebody will work harder to keep something they already have than they will to maybe get something in the future. And so that's a really important, you know, component of why keep works for employers because um, people I, we we observed this I think I think a great example that I'll use is when American Express acquired Cabbage um, there was a big retention pool and a lot of people um, received you know compensation during the course of two years at year one and year two um, as long as they stayed and the purpose was to get people to stay however there's really no reason that those funds couldn't have been paid up front what happened was all the people who were getting that retention over two years they had a countdown clock on their phone I know I did and it basically told them mm-hmm. when they were going to get paid but also in their minds it was tied to when can they leave If you took that out of the equation and you simply let people have the funds up front with the expectation that if they leave, they've got to give some of the money back, then you would no longer have that connection between those two things. It was an interesting experience um, working within the walls of American Express. And I have to tell you, the people there were just lovely. I I haven't had a boss in a really Mm -hmm. long time. And I had a boss at Amex. That was weird. The weirdest part about it was I didn't get to end the meetings anymore. I was like, okay, we're done here, but um, my boss has got to say that. So I'll just sit back and wait. I, I know that sounds so silly, but it, it was just really weird. Um, no, but no, but their decision-making apparatus is so complex. And what I like to say about it, and I've said this many times, is um, 
nobody knows who can make a decision and, and nobody wants to make one. So decisions never get made. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing for financial institutions in general when it comes to risk is to identify who has decision-making authority. And if you want people to take a little more risk, mm. then they need to have an incentive to do so. Because otherwise, nobody gets fired for saying no. Nobody gets fired for taking less risk, generally. Um, but if you want your institution to continue to move forward, you've got to figure out how to create an appetite for risk. Well. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thank you for having me.